Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. You're nearer than my head is to my pillow. Nearer than the wind is to the willow. Precious as the sun to the things that grow You're nearer than the ivy to the wall is Nearer than the winter to the fall is Leave me but when you're You're nearer For I love you so I'm going to be able to not cry. Um, That's Tony Bennett. He passed today at the age of 96. When you start reading the obits, um, you're going to be amazed, many of you, at the story because it's much bigger than the music, and the music was pretty big. That was Bill Evans on piano, by the way. Um, But, I mean, his stories of, of, I mean, he fought on the front lines in World War II and then was part of the kind of occupying forces some of the things that happened there and the segregation he experienced there, uh, the fact that he would be punished for fraternizing with black soldiers made him into a civil rights activist. Uh, he marched with King at Selma and stuff like that. Anyway, <clears throat> we were going to play it at the end of the show, which probably was a better idea, but we were worried about just like not having enough time and we wanted to play the whole song and now it's time to do the show. Uh, and the show is The Nose and we're pretty excited today about the topics and the panel. In fact, uh, making her debut here, I hope it is uh, just a debut and something that turns into a more regular thing, uh, is someone I know. Another context, Susan Clenard is the owner of Clenard Sculpture Studio in Hamden. Uh, it's my contention that she's my favorite sculptor in the world. 
Uh, Bill Usman uh, is a professor of media studies at Sacred Heart University. Uh, he's uh, actually my favorite media studies uh, professor in the world, too. So um, we decided— At go. Sacred Heart University. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's bigger than that. Media studies professor at Sacred Heart University named Bill. Yeah. No, it's bigger than that. Um, <laughs> and and uh, so anyway, we're, we, yes, this is, first of all, happy Barbenheimer to everybody. Uh, today is the day that Barbie and Oppenheimer both come out and people are, I hope there's a way to celebrate other than detonating a doll. Uh, there's got to be some <laughs> other way that Barbenheimer can be observed. Uh, so get creative, people. So meanwhile, we decided not to talk about Mission Impossible uh, today, which would sort of give the rhythm of the nose be something we, we thought about doing. Uh, but instead, to pick two smaller movies. Uh, the first one is Showing Up. The second one is The Whale. They also have in common Hung Chow, uh, a remarkable character actor. I don't think she's going to be a character actor much longer, but a remarkable actor anyway who has uh, appeared in a lot of different things, including like six different things that we've talked about in the last couple of years. So um, we thought, why not just, you know, let's, let's close out the books with Hong Chow, at least for now, and, and get all of her other stuff in. So, um, yeah, the first uh, movie we're going to talk about is Showing Up. It's directed by Kelly Reichardt. It's her fourth collaboration with the actor Michelle Williams, uh, who was also in um, Wendy and Lucy, Meeks Cutoff, Certain Women. Uh, showing Up, and this is sort of how Susan wound up on this show. Uh, showing Up is a story of a sculptor named Lizzie. Uh, she's in a kind of Mozart and Salieri relationship uh, with another sculptor named Joe, uh, played by surprise Hong Chao, uh, and uh, and that and Hong Chao Joy is the is the Mozart. Lizzie is the somewhat gloomy Salieri. Um, she's got a lot of problems with her family. She's not entirely happy with pretty much any aspects of her life or the way her art is treated, or, and she seems to be surrounded by incredibly joyous uh, people. <laughs> who are constantly doing dances out on the lawn and being incredibly happy and, and loving art. Uh, and she's in stark contrast to that as she tries to find some sources of happiness, one of which may be, of all things, an injured pigeon. All right. So, Susan, I think I did a very bad job of summing the movie up. But in a way, it's a movie that doesn't really have a conventional plot exactly. I mean, this is slow cinema. Not that much happens. I guess the, I've been, the thing I've been dying to ask you all along since I brought this whole idea up on Monday is, like, I don't know, in terms of a movie about sculptors, uh, how does this land with an actual real-life sculptor? Um. Well, I'm very happy to be on the show, Colin. Thank you so much for inviting me and for your very generous, kind words. Uh, I'm very humbled. I <laughs> uh, haven't seen any other movies about sculptors other than maybe a few documentaries here and there of, you know, his historical artists. Um, but, you know, I, I'm i home alone this week and me and my lab sat down and, and I... Um, I really, it was so slow at the beginning and, you know, we touched on this maybe with ideas, um, already, but, uh, I just kept waiting for something to happen. And I kept analyzing, of course, being a sculptor, I kept seeing, well, is this actress, is, is Michelle, is she, is she, you know, using the tools properly or, you know, how, how legit is it portrayed the actual physical sculpting, um, and her maybe neuroses or 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 her the ways she thinks about her upcoming exhibition and all these things and the the longer i sat there quietly again i'm alone so it's been really nice <laughs> <laughs> um 
the the more I really enjoyed it, and there were there are periods of like, oh gosh, just feeling really um, kind of awful for her, but also, um, uh, you know, it, it's a younger, it's a it's a pretty good depiction of maybe a young artist coming out of art school kind of thing, and I never did that. Um, you know, I'm I'm almost fifty one, and I didn't go to art school. Can't relate to that, but that kind of um, feeling like the whole world's watching you when you have those first few exhibitions and actually nobody really cares <laughs> except maybe your tight little, you know, posse of people. Um, so that, that felt true. Um, and uh, you know, what it's like for a young artist to kind of peer around and compare themselves to others in you know, in the same field also seems pretty true. Um, Thank God, the older I get, the far less I do that anymore. Because I know, I know why I'm put on this earth, and I know what I want to talk about. So the sense of like, um, you know, she has a show and I don't, or you know, <laughs> look at how big her work is, and look how small mine is. Um, so, so there, there were some really very lovely, quiet moments of making and contemplation, and that I found very touching and endearing and very true. And there are other things that were maybe a little, little exaggerated, but you know, it's a film, right? And so, by the way, we don't—we're never really kind of told exactly how old uh, Lizzie is, but my sense is that she's somebody who is feels a little stalled, and maybe things haven't worked out quite the way that they were supposed to coming out of art school, and now she's kind of keeping things together with this clerical job at the art school. Uh, where her mother is her boss. Uh, and yeah. and there's kind of that sense anyway that she's stalled. I do want to say before we go to Bill, uh, you were saying, uh, uh, talking about other movies about sculptors. Oddly enough, I don't know, two or three years ago, Pants will look this up, The Myrowitz Chronicles came out, directed by Noah Baumbach, in which uh, Dustin Hoffman plays an aging sculptor who is in a Mozart and Salieri relationship in which Dustin Hoffman's character is the Salieri, the one who feels kind of overlooked. And the Mozart is Judd Hirsch, oddly enough, who plays Lizzie's father in this movie. So, uh, mm-hmm. And who's also a sculptor in this movie. So so there you go. That's a weird through line. But yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> but So, I, I, you know, Bill, I began with Susan because it's just exciting to have an actual sculptor here when we're talking about a sculpting movie. But I think there's a way in which this movie generalizes pretty well to creativity in general, to feelings of artistic or creative accomplishment. I mean, to Susan's point, we're all kind of looking around a little bit <laughs> and going, well... <laughs> You know, how come Ira Glass is more famous than I am or something? I mean, I, like everybody, you, oh, yeah. everybody's got somebody and, and everybody feels like they could maybe just be doing 15 percent better than they're doing right now. And, and for Lizzie, I think it's probably a bigger number than 15 percent. But it really is about that kind of greeny, pokey feeling that, you know, why am I here instead of there? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely something I can relate to. And here I can read you a list of the people who I'm like, hey, how come they're getting <laughs> more attention than I am? But that's so human. Yeah. I just think that's 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 a human thing. Like I have no I have no doubt that there are people who we think of as just like these incredibly, incredibly accomplished people who are kind of like looking around thinking, well, how come I haven't gotten a Nobel Prize yet? Um, it's just, it's so human. And that's the thing about this film 
um, is, is it is such a, it's such a human story and it's so lovely, I think in, in the way it does that. Um, it is a slow film as you've written about just recently, Colin, but I think the other word is, is one that Susan just used, which is it's a very quiet film, both metaphorically and literally one of the things that that's most interesting to me is the sound of it it there's long passages with with no dialogue whatsoever and really very little music there's a little music in the film uh and it's beautiful but it's very spare and most of the sound is ambient sound so you hear like the traffic and you hear the sound of her working in her studio and the sound of her cat, who is such kind of a lovely creature in the film and a bird that, that she begins caring for. Um, and so I think that reflects very, very well, sort of the, just, just the quietness of the story that, that, that is being told here and how deliberate the pacing and the long shots are. It just, it's just, I, I think it's really kind of beautiful in a very humble and small kind of way. Yes, I agree. I want to, before we go, there's so much more to say about this movie. You know, I just also want to say, and this is a point I made in writing, when you slow things down, then you notice things more. Like, I, yeah. see, I see movies where I can't remember nothing, you know? Right. And, I, like, I know the cat's name is Ricky, you know? I mean, I just know so many things about hmm. this movie. So, anyway, let's hear a little clip from the movie. Here is Michelle Williams as Lizzie. Here's Hong Chow as Joe, who is not only her rival, but basically her landlady as well, as you will hear. A1 cat. Joe, the water situation's getting worse. Barely gets lukewarm now. Just a few minutes of lukewarm and then cold. That sounds serious. I'm on it. Just gotta get through this week first. Shouldn't even be here right now. I've got so much to do. I do too, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do without hot water. Lizzie, I told you you can use my shower. I want my own water working. My show's open on Friday. I'll be free to deal with it after that. I have a show too, you know, I'm just... You're not the only one with a deadline. I know, but I have two shows, which is insane. So believe it or not, there's a lot of things going on even inside that club. Um, and and uh, because they're small things, I mean, this is a movie of small things. And so little things like who eats too much cheese at the reception for <laughs> this, you know, or a, a bird with a broken wing who's being nursed back to health. And there's a certain culpability that's kind of being covered up. Um, but I mean, this isn't about comets hurtling towards Earth. You know, it's not stuff like that. But, you know, Susan, there's a way in which... And I don't know you that well. We, we've known each other for a while. We were sort of on a panel together 
Uh, and that's how we met. I should say we served on this panel, like speaking to the audience, with Barry Blitt, who does the New Yorker covers, and Jack Gilpin, uh, the actor, and and Roberta Willis, the legislator. And then afterwards, they, they said, "Okay, we're going to go next door. Susan's got an exhibit there." And everybody walked next door, door, and you could hear people's brains just popping like Jiffy Pop, like, "Oh my God, look at this stuff! Oh my God!" Oh. Uh, it was like boop 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 boop. But um, but there's a way in which so I I don't know you that well, but I sort of know you well enough to know that you bring a lot of joy to what you do. Uh, there's a lot of pain and pathos in, in some of the images that you sculpt, but I, I think a lot of joy goes into the work. And, and just even in that clip, you know, uh, Joe Hong Chao is doing way better uh, than, than Lizzie. And she's also a very open person. Like her, I, I didn't get this at first, but her solution to the temporary lack of cold water is come on over to my place and take a shower. You know, and towards the end of the movie, She's having a great party out at her patio that, you know, you kind of want to go there because uh, everybody's happy and having fun. And, and, yeah, she's a little full of herself. But there's also a way in which she's just connecting to everything she does with joy. And, and I think it's easier to find artistic expression when you're in that emotional space than where you are with, with Lizzie, where Lizzie feels like the whole world is just a bunch of walls closing in on her. I don't know. But react, Susan. That I mean, you you nailed it. That's completely completely uh, what I noticed too, and completely how I you know navigate this this life. Um, uh, you know, if if I went in every day to the studio, which I do, uh, and and you know I, you're locked in this room and you're creating the things you're creating, and then you leave, you go home, you raise your family, you cook dinner, you do whatever, and then you go back and you're in this quiet lonely space uh it just you know the joy comes when you're connecting to others it's it and and i found that over the years it has truly truly made a difference in how i work what i what i want to say in my work um the materials i use down to every last detail and so so when i you know in that that scene that you just played and uh, this this character Joe, she had just found this tire on the side of the road, and she on a rope, and she created this swing for herself. And I was like, "Yeah, that's that's it." Or you know, when she's preparing dinner, having a dinner party or a house, and um, or you know, notices this injured bird and decides to to care for. So all there are all these like little everyday things of stimulants and of of ways that we connect in the world that are crucial. Um, crucial to to it's it's the fuel that it keeps you going back into the studio because in my mind um, I think artists of all kinds have to be keen keen observers of life all of it you know the of, of nature of our human interactions of uh, just it's all of it and you know the second I see myself locking you know locking myself too many, too too long in the studio I, I have to shake it up because I think things get a little distorted you you start to feel like you're in this little bubble um which you know I saw hints of that in the movie too it's both beautiful in that you know I'm referring to the bubble of like this you know the whole world's wrapped around you know preparing for these exhibitions and in the end who really cares but you should care like so there's this constant duality for artists like you better really care but you also better have your two feet on the ground and be connected to this world that we're all living in 
I don't know if I'm making sense, but you know, it's just this, it's just a balancing act once again of like, be present, be aware of what's around you. Uh, and probably your work will reflect that in, in a much more, I don't know, holistic, more beautiful way. Cause people can relate to it. Um, and is, I mean, why are we making art anyway? <laughs> if others can't like relate to it, I guess. Yeah. And Bill, you know, we have to talk about this one thing that I think all of us experienced. I did. I was curious once again to know whether Susan was experiencing it. But and, and we should say Tracy Wolf Astenberg was going to be on with us today and wasn't able to do it. But uh, she was having the same reactions. So and I think it's important to say at the beginning of this that. So this artist, Joe, played by Hong Chao, there's a sense in which at the moment, this moment in her career, she's kind of playing with house money. You know, she just she's just doing really, really well and she's getting multiple exhibitions. And I mean, she's, you know, she's not a household name or anything, but within the world that she's in, which is sort of the Pacific Northwest sculpture community, she's doing really great. And her work is kind of seems to use a lot of fabric and, and thread and stuff like that, too. Uh, whereas Lizzie is none of those things. And she's doing work that's, you know, uh, sort of figurative stuff that's that's clay or something like this. And Susan will eventually correct me or set me straight about all this, but stuff that has to be fired in a kiln. And her, she's not playing with house money. She's got a very small stack of chips in front of her. And so I talk a little bit about the fear that you, we all wound up having, Bill, about these sculptures. Yeah. So I don't want to do any spoilers because I because I actually think this is I don't think this is just a side thing. No. The fact that all of us reacted in this way and I watched the film with my wife and she reacted the exact same way. There is a fragility to the art that she makes that we become, as we're watching the film, very nervous about. Um, and we keep expecting um, that this fragility is 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 in danger. Um, and it is very nicely reflective of the fragility of Lizzie's life circumstances. And she is, barely trying to make it you know and she's living in this flat you know that doesn't have hot water at least temporarily and we come to find that her relationships with her family are very fragile as well and the bird that she and joe rescue together is very fragile so it is a a constant theme in the film and i think that um that anxiety that's that's produced in us um i i have no doubt is by design. And it works really, really well, I think. Yeah. I mean, Susan, the fragility, as Bill is suggesting, is not really confined to the sculptures. It's the fact that you feel like the wrong kind of poke at the wrong kind of angle to Lizzie's life could cause a much bigger kind of collapse. But I was sort of wondering if you were sort of sitting there going, ah, I'm not worried about that. I mean, sculptures break once in a while. <laughs> but apparently that is not how you were feeling. No, I mean, there again no we don't want to spoil it for yeah. people who haven't seen the movie but there were there were i i was literally holding my shoulders and kind of because <laughs> well because you then you wonder what's yeah. going to happen to this this poor poor young lady who's already yeah. seeming like on the edge uh and uh yeah no and and but it's beautiful it's such a beautiful quiet way of like reminding us of of this this like tightrope we walk on <laughs> every day almost but um 
Yeah, I mean, shoot, I, I tell this all the time to when I exhibit my work, you know, the schlep of huge pieces, small, delicate clay pieces, big, wooden, large, you know, pieces, just you, I just close my eyes and I like, dear God, let me get this here in one piece. Mm. And then I always bring like epoxy or different, you know, things to fix on the spot. You get used to it over mm -hmm. time, but it is, it's a pain in the tushy and you, you, you do get used to some 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 of that over time but um it's it's not I, i'm always quite jealous frankly of, of painters and 2d artists that can kind of like smash everything into these little <laughs> files and <laughs> cart them along and yeah. now it's all coming out yeah. <laughs> um, so um you know uh bill i don't know if there's anything in particular you want to say about this but for a little tiny movie that's you know 108 minutes long um, and is, you know, really meant to be, I think, you know, an art movie for a very selective audience. There are all these sort of weird little people who are in it. You know, it's kind of like, I mean, for example, Amanda Plummer has this completely yeah. odd little cameo role. So I, we should say, uh, so Lizzie's father, Judd Hirsch, is just kind of in retirement and is clearly kind of a semi-annoying retired guy. Uh, dropping names of sculptors he doesn't really know and stuff like that. But uh, he has these kind of freeloader, you know, 58-year-old <laughs> hippies <laughs> who just show up and they lounge around his house in their bare feet, you know, hanging over the side of the sofa and telling him which supplies he's <laughs> running out of. And one of them is Amanda Plummer. But it, there's also Hirsch himself is in here. There are some other kind of in interesting little things, including Andre 3000, whose real name turns out to be Andre Benjamin, uh, is the guy who runs the kiln at the art school. So I don't know. It's kind of meticulously cast in certain ways. It is. And by the way, uh, uh, Andre 3000, Andre Bre Benjamin, also plays flute uh, that we hear in oh. in the film. He, he's the flautist that we hear. Uh, I noticed that in the credits. Yeah, it it there, you know, it revolves around mostly Lizzie and then Joe, but there are all these other interesting little characters along the side. And I don't I don't know if this is germane to what you just asked me, but but I really do want to kind of squeeze this in while we still have time. I told you all, it very much reminds me of 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 a of a minimalist short story. Mm -hmm. Uh kind of like in a Raymond Carver type vein of course if carver had written it the artist would have been a male alcoholic yes but uh that's not the case but in terms of uh there's much more subtext than there is text and that gives us a lot to mull over and ponder and there's actually a line in the film that i picked up on at one point her brother who is you know going through these these real struggles says to her you have to listen to what isn't being said. And I think that, you know, if this was a big Hollywood block, blockbuster, that would be the tagline for this movie. You have to listen to what isn't being said. Mm. Which is sort of almost a sort of jazz cliche too. It's the notes they're not playing. Oh, the notes, the, the sound, the, the spaces in between the notes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So I think we all like this movie a lot. I think we were moved and inspired by it. By the way, Bill, to your point, we're actually working right now on a short story uh, episode of the Colin McEnroe show, uh, which will include, I've already recorded Irene Papoulis and Brian Slattery analyzing a Rivka Galchin's uh, short story. Yesterday, I taped an interview with Amy Bloom. We're going to have lots of little tiny interviews in our short stories. Yeah. 
show to sort of you know mimic the form itself. Anyway, let's take a break. We're going to be back with this wonderful panel to talk about the whale after this. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. Welcome back. Uh, this is The Nose. Uh, with us today, Susan Clenard, uh, the owner of Clenard Sculpture Studio in Hamden, uh, and just an amazing sculptor. Uh, Bill Usman is professor of media studies at Sacred Heart University. We're about to talk about The Whale, the eighth feature film directed by Darren Aronofsky. I just want to also just say, because this is Susan's first time on The Nose, that I was sort of, I'm aware that I was sort of this creepy Iago-like presence in Susan's life because it started like Monday morning. I said, hey, I said, I was saying, hey, any chance you watched Showing Up? You know, she said, no, I never heard of it, you know. And so then by that night, you know, I'd gotten her to watch it. And then like a couple of days go by and I go, hey, perhaps you would also like to watch The Will and you can be on my show. And I'm sure Susan's thinking, you know, I'm home with my lab. I was like just going to get some work done. Who, who, why is this happening? Where would you get this number? Uh, but anyway, that's where we are right now. Um, so uh, so The Whale is uh, – I, I, most, most people probably know this uh, is a movie for which Brendan Fraser won the Best Actor in the Academy Awards. Uh, he plays uh, a, a writing teacher who, because of a series of life setbacks, he are, well, he processes those by just beginning to eat himself to death. Uh, and he – I don't know how, how much he's supposed to weigh in this movie – 450, 500. I know there's like some reality series called The 600-Pound Man. I don't know. He could be that big in this movie. I, I, I don't know. Um, it's a, a movie about not only that particular character uh, but the the people who visit uh, that character. The character's name is Charlie. Uh, he is visited by Hong Chao who is Liz, uh, a nurse who has some other connections to him that maybe we shouldn't spoil. Uh, Ty Simpkins is a kind of a missionary guy for some kind of – uh, messianic uh, uh, evangelical church. Uh, Sadie Sink uh, is his daughter. I guess we can do that much spoiling. Samantha Morton is his ex-wife. They all come at one time or another. Some come there several times to talk to him. So, Susan, now that I've just ruined your week of getting any work done, uh, <laughs> I also got you to watch a movie that made you feel very, very emotional. Uh, so talk a little bit about how you interacted with The Whale. 
Uh, well, first of all, Colin, I, I did really enjoy um, having assignments in the evening because let me tell you, I start I start in the studio very early at like seven in the morning. And so my evenings are collapsing. And yeah, so I enjoyed it. Thank you. Um, well, I I was a little hesitant. I, I prefer not to see like, you know, I don't know what it's called a dark, dark drama or I don't, I'm not sure what it's called. But anyway, and it one it started in the in the the beginning the scene that it's it's a little bit caught me off guard and then i slowly let myself just let it be what it was and and i did i mean i i wept i wept through the the latter half of it and then the the ending was um not spectacular but i suppose we'll touch on that um you know i i nurses are my favorite people in the universe and so the character Liz, uh, who comes and visits Charlie, this man who never leaves his home because of his weight, um, she is so, so cool and so, so beautiful on so many levels. Just, just her humanity, her non-judgmental. Every this is every element of her is like I love her. I love her. <laughs> um, and so it, you know, she made the movie for me completely. So. That's that I, I think about her in days following. I've thought about her a lot. All right. Well, that's a good segue into the clip we have. You will hear, in fact, Brendan Fraser as Charlie and the ubiquitous Hong Chow as Liz B1 Cat. I'm sorry you had to come over, Liz. No, it's okay. I'm, I'm sorry that I always think I'm dying. Charlie, your blood pressure is 238 over 134. I'm sorry. Go to the hospital. I'm sorry. Stop saying you're sorry. Go to the hospital. You have congestive heart failure. If you don't go to the hospital, you'll be dead by the weekend. You will die. Well, then I better get to work because I have a lot of essays this week. God damn it. I know. I'm sorry. I'm an awful person. I know. Charlie, you have to go to the hospital. This has gone way too far. And rack up tens of thousands of dollars in hospital bills. I'll never be able to pay back ever. This affects me too, you know? You're my friend. No. I'm sorry. You say you're sorry one more time, I will shove a knife right into you, I swear to God. Go ahead, what's it gonna do? My internal organs are two feet in at least. So, yeah, Bill, I think I had the same reaction to Hung Chow as Liz, as Susan did. Like, if I'm ever confined. I want I want Liz <laughs> to come over and just kind of jolt me out of my my despair and and self-pity. But uh I just love to know just in general what you thought of the movie. Hung Chow is the hardest working woman in show business yes. apparently and you know manages to be a nurse and an artist and a landlord like I don't know where she finds the time for all of this. <laughs> um so you know, similar sort of experience with <laughs> that Susan had. I wasn't going to watch this film. Uh, Jonathan McNichol basically did to me what you did to Susan. Was like, "Hey, can I get you to watch the whale?" Um, and the reason I wasn't going to, I actually have a pretty high degree of tolerance for you know really kind of like dark, sad, tragic narratives, but. There's a particular type of sadness to this film um, about, you know, just kind of like desperate isolation and loneliness that I do struggle with sometimes. And of course, I had heard a lot about the film, 
uh, you know, because it got so much Academy Award buzz. And and if I remember correctly, Frazier won an Academy Award for this. He did. Um, yeah. So, you know, but at, so so I did sit down to watch it with a little trepidation. I did find myself drawn in. Um, so one of the things that happens early on is he's teaching his class online, which I had to do uh, during the pandemic. And, you know, you see like these bored, distracted, <laughs> checked out students on his Zoom screen, very, very silent. And I was like, oh, yeah, like I've experienced this. And I did find myself drawn in to him and his experiences and as you say all of these visitors that come to him almost like <laughs> in a christmas carol kind of uh, uh, a way and i do think it builds a very kind of interesting tale it, it is based on a stage play and it feels very much like a stage play um but whereas all these revelations kind of unfold bit by bit i found myself you know, pretty captivated by it. I can't say I enjoyed it because it's, you know, it's just very, very dark and sad and, and difficult, but I did find myself uh, pretty taken in by it. Yeah. I, I would say, you know, I had a similar set of reaction to the panel. I'm, I think I might be a more of a whale skeptic a little bit than you two guys are, but but the middle part of this movie I liked a lot. And yet the beginning, what they do is kind of shock you with everything. I mean, they really shock yeah. you. The first scene, I'll just say, because it's the first scene, so how could it be a spoiler, uh, is this missionary guy, uh, this young Christian guy is kind of trying to get into the house to talk to him and winds up walking in on him watching some kind of gay porn and having just because of his, you know, his reactions to it, he's having some kind of physical attack that causes that that blood pressure spike up to 238. Um, so that's like a lot to, to digest in the first moment. It's kind of like they're not going to ease you into this whole idea. They're mm -hmm. going to give it to you, you know, right there, both barrels. But and, and as we went along, I, I thought of of Job, who is visited by these three guys, Zophar, Bildad, and Eliphaz. There's a way in, and they talk to him about how to process his tragedy, because this is very much about grief and tragedy. And, you know, Susan, I felt as though those themes were interestingly developed, Intre themes of sexuality and love and honesty. I mean, he's a big maven for the idea of he just wants his students to be honest, to write honestly. There are ways, multiple ways, it turns out, in which he's not being honest, but we know he's been not being honest at the very beginning because he says the camera, the webcam is broken, which is why he can see them and they can't see him. But so I, I was really, I don't know if there were particular things you know, that were talked about throughout there that, that intrigued you. There was a lot to intrigue me. As you suggested, the payoff didn't really pay off to me. Yeah, I... I I just there there was so there was such um, deep deep sadness and um, struggle and so so many of the characters the visitors coming in and of course Charlie himself, um, but I think I was struggling with the the egos too like you know everyone's uh, whether it was overt or whatever like everyone had a mission like the well that the the young man coming in to convert um that was astounding just this like feeling that um i can i can make this better i can i can improve this and i i see this and i see this in in our um 
you know, everyday people, I see it in our world politics, just like some some people thinking they have the answer for everything and actually we are such complicated creatures <laughs> we have we are we are such a mess um which is part of the beauty of of us but uh i uh i have to say that i just i kept going i kept going back to finding my um my resolve with the way liz the nurse um kind of pushed through her frustration of it all and um she kept finding her humanity with her compassion um for charlie and and for the daughter that came in who's extremely angry and reminded me of oh boy reminded me of some of my early social work years in chicago just young people that have lost a lot and aren't letting any anything go and they just they're just a walking ball of fire you know just ready to throw down at any moment so you know lots of feelings <laughs> going going through me when I was watching this film. Yeah, and I, I mean, there's sort of five major performances here. I think all five of these people are really good, really good at what they do. The movie ultimately, I think, for me, didn't really deliver on its implied promises, but uh, but those performances are great. And so, Bill, I'm going to take the risk. Susan doesn't know about these yet, but she's going to learn because she's going to be on the nose lots <laughs> more times. But uh, I'm going to attempt a Papoulian through line uh, here. And say mm-hmm. that I think both of these movies, to a certain degree, are saying whoever it is you are, it's not going to be confined to one aspect of your life. It's just going to be who you should pardon the expression shows up in every situation. So in the sense that the morose Lizzie is having a hard time making art that isn't just completely confined by her own sense of her, her very sad self sense of herself. There's a way in which everybody in this movie, you know, decides to be a certain kind of person. The daughter, Sadie Sink, who's amazing, by the way, I want to see her next five movies, but, uh, you know, she has decided to define herself in terms of anger uh, and and betrayal of other people the way that she feels betrayed. Brendan Fraser has made a whole series of choices based on how he's perceived his life. He's described by others as an optimist. It seems to me these are the least optimistic things you could do in the face of grief and tragedy, but whatever. But I mean, everybody there, including uh, Hong Chao's character, Liz, it's the same. I don't know. Is that a legitimate Papoulian through line? I I don't want to like, you know, Circulate false Papulian currency on the nose. That would, you know, that would be the end of me. <laughs> no, I think I think that is legitimate. You know, in both in both films, as you say, there's sort of this central character that these other people revolve around, and yet all of the other people revolving around them are multi-layered, interesting people in their own rights, and. You, I, I agree that all the performances in this are really, really excellent. And, you know, one of the things that I that I did like about the film is that nobody is who they seem to be on the surface. Mm. None of these characters are. But they are all so lonely. They're just so lonely. And so they're just kind of like circulating around each other but still in their bubbles of loneliness. And and if I could, just one other kind of connection between the two films. I think it's correct to say that these are both two serious films. You know, these are not, you know, Mission Impossible, whatever number they're on or whatever. Um, but I would say, and and one of the things that makes it just a little bit better Although it's, you know, it's maybe it's not fair to compare them, but while they're both really serious films, 
showing up wears its seriousness more lightly. Whereas what the whale does is it kind of like, it kind of grabs you by the lapels and, you know, screams at you, look at this person. You don't want to look at him and care about him. It's, it is an urgent cry, but it does do it. And, you know, in a pretty heavy handed kind of way, as, as I think you, you've had said to us. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, uh, showing up, this is not a spoiler, <laughs> showing up ends with somebody deciding to go get cigarettes and somebody else saying, yeah, I think I'll come along with you. And then the conversation keeps going, right. you know, whereas this ends with just, you know, kind of almost every sort of operatic, almost yeah. sort of gimmicky way you can have of making people feel like they're seeing something very transcendent. And It's and, an awkward ending. Yeah. I, I agree with both of you about that. All right. Yeah. So we have to take a break right now. Susan's going to come back. Bill's going to come back. We're going to recommend some other things to you uh, right after this. Today's show is produced. A technical produ producer is Kat Pastor, as usual, and as we like it. Uh, Jonathan McPants is the producer of The Notes pretty much every time around, and this time, too. Uh, our guests today uh, are Bill Usman and Susan Clenard. Making her first uh, appearance here, I'm ready to send her all of the official Nose paraphernalia, the secret codes that get you into everything, uh, you know, yeah. uh, everything that Bill has come to take for granted, uh, I will send out to you, and you'll become kind of a superhero. Um, all right, so uh, we're now going to make some recommendations. Bill Usman, why don't you go first? Well, first, I want to say how beautiful the opening of today's show was. Um, oh, Tony, Tony Bennett. Um, you know, I since Tracy couldn't make it today, I want to consider Tony Bennett the unofficial third member of the panel today. Um, but for my real endorsements, I, I kind of decided to stick with the theme for today and endorse a couple of older films that are just kind of quiet, deliberate, personal stories of people just trying to live their lives. And the first one is a 2007 film called The Visitor, uh, directed by Tom McCarthy and featuring Richard Jenkins, who plays a lonely college professor in late middle age, hmm, uh, whose life changes when he comes home and finds an immigrant couple has taken up residence in his home. It's very infused with sort of the post 9-11 vibe of New York City in the early 2000s. And it's really one of my favorite sort of forgotten about films of the last few decades. Uh, so that's The Visitor. And then the other one just quickly is Home for the Holidays, which is a Jodie Foster film directed by Jodie Foster from 1995, which is a family comedy drama um, based on a short story uh, by a writer named Chris Radant, or Radant, I'm not sure. Holly Hunter uh, plays a woman who's trying to cope with her very complicated relationships and family during a very trying Thanksgiving weekend. And it's got all kinds of people in it, like Robert Downey Jr. and Anne Bancroft and Charles Durning and Steve Gutenberg and Claire Danes. 
Um, both of these films are streamable uh, for cheap, which is always a plus. And I'm going to stop now because I don't know if you can hear my cat like relentlessly meowing. Yeah, that's, uh, we hear Ricky in the background and he just that's in, that's, injured a pigeon. Uh, so um... The cat said Ricky is a less hot version of him. <laughs> All right. So Susan Glenard, what are you going to recommend to us? Well, uh, it's it's funny as we're joking about artists being in their bubble and not seeing the rest of the world. I've been in a bubble. Um, I've been hustling to make for some shows coming up, so I haven't been out to see much. But I will. I would love to leave a quote behind. Um, Barry Lopez, uh, the beautiful writer who passed a couple years ago, he and I were pen pals of sorts hmm. for about a decade. And wow. Barry wrote this to me, and so I'd like to share it. <laughs> He said, whatever it is we are trying to say as writers and artists, we are the carriers of ideas our ancestors, like us, refuse to let die. Our work is not to change the world. The world will go its own way. Our work, as I see it, is to keep certain ideas alive, the ideas that make us weep. So that's that's the wonderful Barry Lopez. Wow, that is terrific. Uh, yeah. Beautiful. All right, so I'm going to make a very sort of a somewhat more quotidian uh, endorsement, uh, but not, also not. So I'm going to endorse the company and specifically the store, Penzi's Spices. I, I, I cook a lot, first of all, and um, it, this is an unusual company too. They're, like, they're, they're sort of so declaratively politically Democrats that, you know, it's kind of they've basically alienated 30 or 40 percent of the pot potential customer base. But that's not why I like them, although that's kind of interesting and, and cool. But um, but really their stuff is really terrific. Uh, there are certain blends. There's a thing called Fox Point that I really cannot be without. Like I was running out of it and I had to do something about that that might have included having Tom Cruise help me break into Penzi's and then lower me on a cord so I could pick up the Fox Point and then he would pull me back up through the ceiling, something along those lines. Uh, but um, <laughs> a, a lot of their blends are really, really good. And and meanwhile, they have the regular spices and there's their California peppers, really terrific. But anyway, I was in there picking stuff up and I just thought I should say something about this place. They have a beautiful store in West Hartford Center. They have locations elsewhere around the country. You can look that up online. It's P-E-N-Z-E-Y. Penzies, uh, apostrophe S, uh, and they're great. Uh, and so is our panel today, Susan Clenard and Bill Usman. Thanks so much for joining me, and we gotta go. Up the street from the seminary, you know it's a very, very, very cool place to hang out. Yeah, <laughs> it's cozy, like a Cracker Barrel. Yeah, we all be laughing, talking, joking, talking about this. Talking about that, and talk about everything as a matter of fact. Oh yeah, talk about Torrington, Vernon, Danbury, Waterbury, Oliveberry, Woodbury, hitting on New Britain, Vernon. I already said that one. Avon, Farmington. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.